And welcome back to Inside Whitehall with me, Jonathan Gullis. And me, James Starkey. So we've just had Pretty Patel come to tell us about how we get a bill through Parliament. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And obviously having sort of, as Pretty alluded to, been a part of some of the legislation she dealt with, to make that understandable, I think was <laughs> a real achievement as well. What did you make of it, James? Yeah, I, th- uh, I thought it was really interesting. And um, as I, I think I referenced at, at the end is... I asked Pretty if she would come on and she, she said, oh, of course, uh, what, what, what topic are you doing? I said, well, I'd like to understand how does legislation really work? How do you take a bill through Parliament? And she said, uh, which we, well, I think it's fine to say because we said it when she was here, oh, you, I don't see how you can get 30 minutes out of that. It's very dry. Um, and she's right. When you look at the description, having done politics at uni, and you, can't, you look first reading, the second reading. The passage of a bill, yes. The passage of a bill is is boring. But what I think... We establish. I hope. I hope we establish in the podcast um, with Pretty is actually really how it really works is yeah. quite interesting because it's because it's not as simple as you kind of lay some documents and there's a couple of votes and then and you have a committee. Debates, yeah. it, it, there's a lot more complex than that. No, absolutely. I think that's what uh, was fascinating was to hear from the government perspective. I suppose that's why I was going to ask you about first because obviously. I'm someone who's been, I'm in the House of Commons, so I'm on the receiving end of the legislation that's been drafted up. You've been there at the, be- the process when it's at the very beginning, uh, the idea on the whiteboard, the engagement, the stakeholders, the checking with all the lawyers, the checking with the civil servants, the right around, as Pretty told us about, and then getting to, obviously, Parliament, which is when I'd first witness it. So, you know, I'd like to hear your kind of reflection on that, really, and also how you learnt about it. As someone, as you said, who came into politics much later than many, and had another career, you know, after studying politics at university before coming back into it. The theory versus the reality. How did you find that? Oh, well, um, a, le- a learning curve. I remember someone, it was Dominic Cummings that actually said to me when I was going to be as bad, your first year is vertical. I was, I don't know why, but it stuck, stuck in my mind. And he's right. Your first year in government is, a, for me, was just a vertical learning curve. I wouldn't say it's forget everything you know before, but um, it's kind of relearn it and then add 90%. Uh, and that certainly is the case, you know, for legislation. There's, it's a, you know, they're very, com- it's very complex. As we touched upon in the discussion with Pretty, you have to remember it's something that's got to work in the real world. So at DEFRA, we did some really big pieces of legislation. Um, so farm, you know, the farming bill we started, the environment bill, these have huge impacts on people's lives and livelihoods. And so, you know, I remember as part of that process, we, you know, you obviously at DEFRA, you get your wellies on and you go to a farm. And I, I don't know, various things stick in your mind. And I remember going to uh, see a farmer and he took us into his office and it was stacked with paperwork. I mean, it was full, more, more than an MP's office. You know, there was just folders and folders and folders. And he, you know, he took us through and said, this is what I have to fill out for the what we've got at the moment. I don't know if a farmer would say they st- they maybe still have to do the same thing, but certainly our intention was working out how we can make that easier. But you, but it was seeing the real world of, you know, this is all these things you sit in Whitehall and do. Here's the real world. Yeah. Here's the real world of it and what you're trying to achieve. And we went and looked. We were incredibly lucky, and we went to see um, James Dyson's farm, who's uh, who 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 does own a lot of farmland, but. Um, does do incredible things on environmental management on his farmland and he openly admits that he does that because he's fortunate enough to have made a bit of cash selling 
uh, vacuum cleaners but um and so it was like how can you uh, enable farmers to do to do better on that and but you 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 see what it's like in real life what the challenges are and you know that's across across departments i was talking to someone earlier about the mental health campaign and um i, don't, I haven't told you this actually the the gnu exclusive this is an exclusive Whitehall pod so, exclusive Whitehall pod exclusive so they're going to review uh this is quite dry there's a thing called awrs funding which is the alternative roles reimbursement scheme which i think is about a 1.8 billion pound government fund <laughs> which um Not PCNs, primary care networks gps can bid into so they're going to review because of our campaign how well that feeds into mental health nurses in particular is it doing enough to enable mental health nurses and that's quite exciting right it's quite exciting. But one of the things that I was being told by the, the person I was speaking to was that that's because they've they've looked in on the ground because some of the stuff we've been talking about and pointing them to where things have happened before and realised that maybe, although it looks good on paper, it's not working in real life. I think that's what's really interesting. Like you said, I remember when I was in the Department for Education, albeit briefly, as I like to always uh, <laughs> put How the How many days on, was it? Uh, 51 days, I believe, or 50, 50 or 51 uh, days. And I remember we were talking about how to reduce workload. And I remember a school I'd gone to saying, guidance, guidance, guidance. And I was in the department. I said, can I get a copy of every piece of guidance in my office that we give to schools? And the joke back to me was, it could fill your office. And I said, well... We can laugh, understandably, that would be a funny thing to physically see, but is that not incredibly insane that that's how many pieces of guidance we're giving to head teachers and expecting them to digest that and understand that, like you said, and then deliver on that in reality? Surely we should slim it down. I think that's, that's actually one part of legislation that probably does get forgotten about because ultimately, in a lot of cases, you'll be updating existing laws or over rewriting uh, existing laws, or simply getting rid of an older law to replace it with a new one that you're bringing in. And the legal complexity of all that, as Pretty was going into, the amount of lawyers that you have to sit down and seek advice from uh, to do that, and actually does that work in practice, and you know, or does that work on paper? And you've experienced that with DEFRA, with the Environment Act, like you say, a huge piece of legislation. And Pretty, we're talking about the National Health and Borders Act, fundamentally changing the UK's asylum system. You know, these are not small things. These will have major legal implications, as, as we're seeing uh, with the National Health and Borders Act uh, at present. And obviously, we'll have um, uh, a big uh, operational impact as well in terms of those people who work within that sector. But what I wanted to ask you as a parliamentarian is, did you learn anything? I mean, because you've now, you've been around for a few years, you've you've seen bills go through parliament, you've, um, as we know, tried to amend them, etc. But did, were you listening to that and did you learn anything? I think I learned about sort of the engagement side and it made me think, when we get all those emails come in asking to meet and sort of offer, perhaps that would be sometimes beneficial because... Some of those organisations would have been sat with the minister or with the secretary of state or with the civil servant or with the special advisor and kind of fed it in. And so, and would have influenced maybe, and they've got half a win, but they obviously want the full win. And it'd be interesting to sit down and say, why was it they were willing to give you way on this, but maybe not go further with that? And I think that's made me think I could definitely do a bit more of that wider engagement with stakeholders even if it's just within my own constituency, like finding organisations that will be impacted and asking them directly, like, do you have a view? Or does, you know, who you, anything, anyone in your uh, community have a view? 
uh, that's certainly something that's made me consider there. I think the other side of it is just the amount of prep. Because like I said, I, in, for being in the department that short length of time, I never got to take a bill through Parliament. So the amount of prep and breadth of knowledge that minister... And I do sit there and admire ministers who are literally sat on that front bench for hours. And the opposition, by the way, who have got to respond to everything that's being said as well. So it's not all easy for the opposition. They've got to digest it. And they'll have comments that are from their own side with suggestions of how the bill can be amended that maybe they've not considered. And now they'll want to adopt that as well. Or they'll be getting asked questions of, do you support the government on this? And they've got to come up with decisions about whether or not they'll back certain amendments or back certain government clauses that have been added to the bill. Are they voting against the bill entirely? Or are they going to abstain because they don't fully object to it, but ultimately uh, don't feel they it's in a place where they could fully support it either? And I think that it's just incredible because I've seen it when you see the minister, you know, with their speech and the shadow minister and they're suddenly putting lines through pages or lines through sentences, they're getting the notes from their boxes or getting the text messages and they're scribbling all over their pages and they've got MPs giving their views and opinions which they're going to have to reply to in summing up or respond to within a matter of seconds and they've got to digest all that as well as obviously what the lawyers and the civil servants in the department have told them. I think it is a major skill. One of the best people I've seen with it is uh, Yvette Cooper's very good. Rachel Reeves, I've always found incredible. I've seen her as she's going through her speech, clearly where she's ripped out an entire page, put a line through it, and she has seamlessly taken the sentence from page three and got to page where, probably like page five, without feeling like that speech was suddenly truncated or changed. And I think that's where you really separate the top quality politicians, the ones who really, you can see that they... They just they they've got it that special thing. My call on uh, the conservative benches is one of those who can just make it look so effortless, and I always admire it. And in fact, when you see someone like Michael, who at times doesn't even have his folder at the dispatch box, you just it blows your mind that he's managed to retain that. I, level I've never of information. known someone who can retain information as well as him. I remember we were at Defra, obviously doing doing the farming policy, and uh, there was a book. I can't remember the name of the book. Is it Jay, James Rebanks, I think, maybe? Is it is a guy's written about better land management on his farm? I think he's in Norfolk. And anyway, there was a book. And I saw Michael had it, and I'd, I think I'd seen a review, and I said, oh, can I borrow it off from you when you finished? And a few days later, he gave me the book. And so I read it, and I'd seen him have it for like three, four days. So I thought, I'd seen him go through books. I thought, I bet he's just, he must just skim these things. Yes, he probably read <laughs> yeah. it. Which, which probably says more about me than Michael. Anyway, I, I read it. I was I don't know, halfway through and there was something in it I thought was interesting. And I said to him, oh, you know, the X was really interesting. And he, he was like, yes, and this. And then basically it was like the paragraph afterwards. He was like, and this was really interesting. And I was like, no, he definitely has read it all. And he remembers <laughs> everything that's in it. And I, and I can't, and like, look, that's I can't do that. It's not possible for me. I mean, just, my brain doesn't work like that for whatever reason. But I do think he's he has an ability to to retain a lot of information. And like you said about Rachel uh, Reeves, I think that's that's perhaps a skill that serves you very... I don't know, you tell me because you watch it live. It seems like that would serve you very well if you have to be at the dispatch box where you've got things... Even if you're in the opposition, I watched one. I don't know if I can ask you when you see. I always think it's really difficult to respond to the budget. So Jeremy Hunt the, this time had had spent three weeks or whatever longer, and he's able to prepare prepare a speech. He knows exactly what's in it. 
Yeah. And I, he's got a team, I imagine, that say, and these are the tough questions you're going to get. So, yep. so, so that is a huge As amount Pretty of information. Says, you get the Q&A in your folder of like hostile questions. Rachel or, or Keir, who have to respond. Keir responds, I think, does he first answer yeah, yeah, question? Yeah. They have to respond. They've got no idea, or they only they only know what's in the paper, which is you know probably not even accurate, and but also only fifty percent of it. Well, the one thing they do get is obviously, they, and you'll hear if you if for listeners, if you listen, sometimes I say I thank the minister for advance copy of their statement. So you normally get the statement that should be read word for word. It's never going to be perfect, but the idea is you get what the what is meant to be said. So right. that way you can spot if a minister does miss something out. And they, do they get in trouble from the speaker if they veer off a lot? No, so well, uh, so the, it, no, you wouldn't get massive in trouble. I mean, the opposition might say this is now a very different what's changed in the last half an hour, and then you could probably put some spin on it politically to suggest that they realise it something was going to be unpopular, or clearly they've got draft A and actually draft Z is now uh, you know uh, uh, right. being read by the minister. So it was it would talk more about the competency, but I think that statement. Let's not forget. From what I understand, it could be half an hour, maybe an hour max in advance. So you're not getting this thing days or weeks in advance you're getting this thing literally an hour maybe in advance you've then got to read through what you think you've obviously read through what you've read in the paper what you think is going to be said now you've got a copy of what is actually going to be said but you haven't got the book you haven't got the uh, in the, with the budget you haven't got the book that outlines all the finite detail so there's a lot of trust as well and what's actually being told to you uh as well which is obviously why it's super important for the ministers to be you know following uh you know to to never mislead the house because ultimately that is a very serious offense so i think that that's something that's really it is incredibly challenging therefore to do because you're trying to digest what you want to say you've now got what is being said and you're checking against what you've got in front of you is being actually repeated at the dispatch box and then you've got to think obviously in rachel's terms how do i put a spin on that to suggest an alternative idea is better because we want to be the party of government and i think it yeah if you can do that master that skill i think it would suggest that you are someone more than capable of walking into a into the treasury in rachel's case and being able to to grasp detail and you can very easily and look even amongst mps you when you watch a, a minister on the floor of the house, if you and this is where we get into a bit more technical, you have a public bill committee, which MPs will refer to as, oh, you've the bill goes upstairs, literally to the floor above to the committee rooms. And I did that in the Nationality and Borders Act. And you went through line by line, week and, weeks and weeks, every Tuesday, every Thursday, full days. You're in there meeting witnesses and experts. Then you're going through line by line the bill. You're tackling amendments. You're having votes in the public bill committee as well uh, on those amendments. Or you have a committee on the floor of the house which is where you're in the debate, you're in the House of Commons chamber, you're debating it, you still put amendments down, but obviously it's a slightly different atmosphere. You probably don't get, in some cases, you can't have the line by line in there because obviously the government will have only put so much protected time in place, which, is, which the opposition will say is unfair because it doesn't allow for full and proper scrutiny. We don't get those experts to come in because obviously they can't come on the floor of the House and give testimony. So we're having to rely on external briefings being sent in very quickly. So I think that's where... It's a hard balance because the government will want to get something through quickly, but at the same time, the opposition and backbench MPs like myself will say, but we also want time to properly scrutinise the legislation. And I think what I've learned from being on that public bill committee, but also learned from other people like Bill Cash, who's been in Parliament for a long time, another Staffordshire MP, and you know people like me have put amendments down on recent legislation and learning about how to put an amendment down, how to get the legal clerks to say that it is legally fine what you've worded. It's within the legal scope of the legislation, 
which is another hurdle you've got to thing. Then you've got to get the speaker to select the amendment. You've got to get colleagues to put their name to it. Then you've got to speak to it and then decide if you're going to push it to a vote or if you're going to withdraw it at committee stage, which you mean they might re-enter it at report stage. I know it sounds like I'm waffling here, but that learning that side has been fascinating in the last you know month or two about how that all works because ultimately that is that's what the that's what the responsibility of a backbench MP is to scrutinise and try and make sure legislation is actually going to one legally work, two operationally work, and three deliver obviously what you hope it will deliver or what you want it to deliver, you know, against the will of maybe the government at the time. I think somewhere in your answer you seem to endorse Rachel Reeves as the next chancellor of the Exchequer. <laughs> Listen here. You Listen said, here. I'm sure you said she, that's why she would make a great. I'm sure she has the skill set to be able to walk into the Treasury. Do I think Jeremy Hunt, uh, Let's let, we assume there's no reshuffle and Jeremy Hunt's still the Chancellor. Jeremy Hunt is the man who has listened to the campaign that I was running to ensure, with The Sun, with Fairfuel UK, to make sure that we kept the cut in fuel duty. So I want to give Jeremy Hunt a big shout out for being a superstar. Uh, in that regard and he is doing a fantastic job as well I can tell but of course I'm sure listeners will suggest uh, maybe that's uh, me pushing my own personal party political view on that one and you'll uh, and uh, will avoid scrutiny uh, you know which sounds like you're just reading from CCHQ lines or something <laughs> well I'm just I'm just saying I'm not gonna I can't I'm not having out there that Jonathan Gullis is I don't think Rachel Reeves would want Jonathan no. Gullis's endorsement either I think Let's she would actively reject it yes she probably would my favourite moment, and what's actually quite funny on working in legislation is how many conversations, if you do a public bill committee, you're with the same opposition MPs every Tuesday, every Thursday, and how you build actually a nice, you get to know the opposition, because you're, you know, coffee breaks, you're chat sitting, chatting, going, oh, that was interesting, what was said there, or, oh, this amendment that you're talking about, can you explain it to me? But of course, what's interesting is if you're on the government benches, the government whips will decide which conservative backbenchers usually are the ones so to be on the it, bill committee. when you have the bill committee when you're in, which, yeah. what's it called when you're in the room, not when you're on you're the floor? You're in committee rooms, yeah, you're in the committee, committee rooms. rooms. So it kicked, it's kicked upstairs as it's uh, referred to Kicked as well. upstairs. So is it just the MPs on that committee in that room? Yes, you'll have is the clerks there. Is there the minister, can minister? Can the minister responsible for the legislation go and watch what's going on? So the minister's in there. The minister's. Are they in there? The minister's in for there the whole they're, time. They're in there. So, so the, it's normally a junior minister. So in my case, with the Nationality and Borders Act, it was um, Tom Persclove. Right. He was in there all the time. It was Tom Persclove. You'd have a whip, and you have a PPS, Parliamentary Private Secretary, an MP who has been assigned a Secretary of State or a department. Uh, they are what nicknamed as the bad carrots, the first rung on the government ladder. So the PPS is in the bill committee. Yes, and they're there obviously getting papers from the officials who will be sat uh, nearby, passing it to the minister to respond to whatever's being said, as well as um, helping with you know uh, the whip in any way the whip wants. Then you'll have a certain amount of conservative backbench MPs. Now those are normally chosen by the whips, and the whips will normally choose people who they believe will not cause a problem that are not going to put lots of amendments down, that are not going to make lots of prolonged speeches, that are very much going to sit there and just go along with what the government intention is. So if you're a rebellious voice, if you're someone who's, like me, put down amendments on other recent legislation, it is unlikely that the Chief Whip is going to call you and ask you to go on that bill committee because you might be seen as someone who's going to get in the way of the government agenda. So then what you have to do is you can still put amendments down, but you won't be sat on the bill committee to but debate it does so i've never seen a bill committee does the does it look like a select committee 
Uh, no, it's it's it, you have the benches. It's the benches are opposite each other, so it's like a House of Commons setup. But it's a table, a long, a long uh, like bench style table, and then seats. And uh, then you've got, obviously got a chairperson who will be another MP who's a, a very senior, long-standing member of Parliament who uh, chairs those committees. And they are politically neutral. They have no voting rights. Their job is just to make sure that, that everything is in order uh, of the rules of the House of Commons. I see. And so um, during that process, is the, so that's where you you will get amendments coming in. So you'll have, for example, Clause 1 of a bill, and you'll spend time talking about Clause 1. The opposition will give their... So the minister outline why Clause 1's written the way it is. The opposition will say they're either happy or unhappy or indifferent about it. They may say that they've got amendments, which they're making to Clause 1, and it will relate to Section 5, Line 3. We want to see this change, and they have to explain the change that they want to make. Um, then there's opportunity for backbenchers of the opposition... So you have Labour, SNP, independent MPs, and you have Conservative. If they want to speak, they can do. If you want to intervene, ask you know whilst the minister or opposition speaking, you can. Are they ask. members of the committee? Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, all the opposition. So you have like if you've got you know can, if I'm a the ruling governing MP party will always have the majority on those committees. So if there's a vote, it's expected that the governing party would be able to get it through without problem. But if I'm a, a backbench MP and I'm interested in, in a particular bill, but I'm not on the committee. Can I go and can I go and watch the committee happening? Yeah, so you can go sit in the public gallery, but you can't say anything. I can't say I can't speak. No, you can't speak. No, but you can go sit and watch. You can obviously or what I tend to do is um some on certain legislation that I'm really interested in, I get um the Hansard Hansards yeah. the next day ready and I'll read through it. Well Pretty said that she would every evening read uh, the Hansard. Which is Hansard remarkable page, right? by the way. Like that is very intense because that's you know when you're doing when you're talking about six, seven hour sessions over the course of a day, that's a lot of words. <laughs> have been spoken yes. in that day and obviously you're reading your minister i'm assuming to make sure they're on message but you're also trying to see where's the mood any backbencher in particular who's maybe gone on there without any intention but suddenly got very excited or very engaged or is actually seemingly starting to soften the stance or has the opposition made a good point that you actually want to adopt and get in front of yourself so you may do a deal where the government agrees and then the next day for example tom would sometimes go oh, here's a letter in response to what was raised, or the government accepts and we agree that when it goes to the House of Lords, we will work with the Shadow Minister to get to a, a place where the wording is acceptable for them and for us. So deals so, will happen in those public bill committees You said well. Shadow. So what are the chances of an opposition uh, amendment in bill committee being successful? Very hard and very unlikely. Normally... The best thing for the opposition to do is to see if a Conservative MP, in this case, as the governing party, puts down an amendment that is something that is very close to or vaguely in line with what the opposition thinks. And they are aware that that amendment can also gather, in the case of the current government, I think it's about 33. So could you get 33 people to go against the will of the government? And then you know then, if you get all your people on side, that ultimately the government's going to have to make movements. So this is when the maths kicks in, the numbers, as it would be talked about. First rule of politics is being able to count. Yeah. And so do the whips think that they've got, no matter what, do they think they've we've got enough people? So even if 10 people go off, we, we're fine. We can handle that. Or actually, does it get? And obviously, with some amendments I've put down recently, we've had 30 names that have gone public. So we got a commitment, therefore, to not push our amendment to a vote, but we've got a promise to engage with number 10 and, in this case, the Home Office. 
So, you know, again, things like that can be discussed behind the scenes about I will not force a vote, but I will obviously make sure that we have a discussion. Tim Lawton uh, had an amendment which had some lab- some high-profile Labour MPs on it and some high-profile Conservative MPs on it. He got some promises from the dispatch box that meant he didn't push it to a vote because ultimately probably would have ended up seeing the government lose because there would have been enough Conservative MPs with all the opposition parties who would have voted for Tim's amendment as it was written at the time. So I think that's where a lot of that goes on at committee stages, trying to find middle ground. And it's about how dogmatic you want to be at times as a minister. So committee say, is it committee say it's a bit about trying to, at least within parliament, trying to work out a consensus? Yeah, basically trying to get the, the government ideally would like to get the bill through unamended because they would argue with the civil servants who have been drafting it and the law clerk, the legal clerks and everything, this is all legally fine. We've had it all checked out. But obviously, like every, no legislation is ever perfect, and even the government puts down amendments to its own legislation because it will be things will be brought to their attention and go, oh yeah, we need to legally change that word or whatever. Normally, they're very technical amendments. So, but at bill committee with big bits of legislation, like we saw with the um, uh, leveling up bill that Michael's taking through, there was pages, a bit like the National Assembly Act, page tens of pages of amendments. And obviously, Michael was making meeting with opposition parties, going, yeah, we accept that. That's fine. Can we reword it like this? And then obviously, you know, uh, that's in a place like that. So there's a lot of those conversations that go on. And then normally once you get through committee stage, Mm. you then get report stage. And normally report stage might be one final change the government's making or one amendment that the backbencher's got. The government's agreed that that backbencher can get the publicity in a sense, if they can push it, the government will say we accept it and it goes through on the nod. So the backbencher gets the win. Or the opposition will want to still put down the amendment because they will they see a political point-scoring opportunity. And by the way, that's not a dig. That's that's their job. They have to outline how they're different from the government. So they would say, this is something that at least puts a clear line between us and the, the government as to what we would do. We will force a vote to at least make our point that this is what we wanted to do. And then and then normally... How, how do you force a vote? So what happens is you just got to have enough voices. So the you'll normally be contacted to ask if you are intending to push it to a vote. And you, it's normally seen as polite to inform, you know, in advance the Speaker's office where you're intending votes to take place. So they are at least aware and the doorkeepers are therefore aware of what's going on. And then it, the question will be put by whoever's in the chair to the floor of the House or in the bill committee. And it's simple. Uh, those in favour, aye. Aye. Those, in, uh, those opposed, no. No, and if you, as long as you get enough people shouting no with enough with enough loud voices, and that's where you want your gullises who can uh, bellow from the benches. You, you've just referred to yourself in the third person. I know. Well, I was. I, I know it's the first sign of madness, isn't it? So I apologise. But yeah, when you can, um, when you can bellow, uh, you know, loudly, as long as you, as long as the speaker feels that there's a genuine contest in the house, then there will be a division. If you are opposed, if you are forcing a vote as a backbencher, you will need to organise your own whips. Other MPs who will act as a whip to go and do the chalking off as people walk through the different lobbies to tell up the eyes and the, uh, the eyes and the nose. So you have to obviously make find hope that there's other like-minded people, at least three of you, <laughs> to shout no and to tick off who's going through at the very least. Otherwise, you know, the the speaker will listen to the the noise level of the house, and if there's enough clearly more than enough eyes. Who are being very loud? Then they'll take it. Uh, they'll take it based on the volume made in the in the in the chamber or in the committee. 
I think we, we need to do an episode on the speaker, don't we, if we can do it with the speaker. Oh, yeah, it would be great to have the speaker. Lindsay is a really uh, good guy. Mr. Speaker, sorry, Mr. Speaker, not Lindsay, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, to Mr. speaker to me. Anyway, to me anyway, yeah. We we know each other probably probably better than most, and that's, that's for all the wrong reasons because uh, I get too many tickings off. But no, I actually get on with him really well despite despite the tellings off. And he has met my mum, hasn't he, as you know, James? That's true. He's had a for tea, hasn't he? It's basically like she's been over for a bad evening. Yeah, when he invited, I, that was my joke to him when he met my mother. I was like, it's just like, it's basically going to visit the headmaster all over again. Yes. Perhaps when we do the speaker, we'll see if my mum can come on and just sort of chip in every now and again with what she thinks. I'm sure that would make great listening, right? <laughs> I, I'm not sure it would be great for you if both your mum and the speaker were that. No, probably no win situation there for me. But, you know, entertain for the listeners. And that's what we're Certainly interested in. We're interested in you listening to Inside Whitehall and having fun as you do it. We've always got the listener at the front of our mind. We have indeed. Well, look, I think I thought it was fascinating. There's definitely so much more to have been able to go into on that episode. Totally. I don't know what you thought, James. So, uh, But of course, time is upon us and we obviously want to make sure that you, the listener, uh, can go about your day today. And I'm going to, I've said it before and I say it again, we are on Twitter at Whitehall Pod UK. Give us a follow, give us a comment, give us a retweet and uh, you can obviously follow or subscribe however you're listening to us uh, please do that and you can give us a rating and a comment and we want to hear that feedback as well so please do that and tune in to the next episode cheerio cheerio